I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. That's right. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Pirates. I do one of these every Monday through Friday, bright and early in the morning. If you're into football and or hockey, I offer up daily shots of Steelers and Penguins as well. Neil Huntington didn't mean his remark exactly the way it came out. That was the case for a lot of his misstatements that would end up getting him in hot water. Same was true of Frank Coonley. They both had a real knack for pushing the wrong buttons in a place like Pittsburgh that really requires you to just say things like they are. Well, the fact of the matter is, though, that was a bridge year for the Pirates. They should have had more bridge years. And bridge years are a real thing. But the reason the comment was taken so badly is that here was the lead baseball executive of the organization telling everyone that what they were about to witness that season didn't matter. It was irrelevant. And that's a hard sell, wouldn't you say? You know what I mean? <laughs> eh, you know, this is this is cool and all. It's 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 decent entertainment, but the games, the outcomes, they really don't matter. They you know, it's it's just not a big deal. They'll matter maybe in a year or two, but they don't now. So don't worry about it. We're just gonna go through this bridge year for you. Yeah, that just wasn't gonna fly. Wasn't gonna fly. So what would you call 2021 for the Pirates, which in reality will be more of a bridge year than anything we've seen in our lifetime? As I was laying out here for you yesterday on the show, this is without precedent, what the Pirates are doing. This isn't Huntington trading Garrett Cole for three semi-major leaguers and one prospect. This is a general manager, Ben Charrington, moving out pretty much every asset that he has at a certain age or older for high-ceiling, very young prospects. This is going to take a while. Assuming it ever materializes, but if it does, it's going to take a while. That's not comparable to what Huntington did. It's not comparable to what Dave Littlefield or Cam Bonifay or Sid Thrift or however far back you want to go. It's not been done. 
This will be the bridge year of all bridge years. So what is there to watch? I mean, I can say it. They can't, you know. But there will still be things within that, I'd argue, that do matter. That do matter. One of them is is really obvious, and that's the maturation and the growth of Kebrian Hayes. Uh, he's not going to be Ted Williams every month of his career as he was in the first month of his career in 2020. But watching him grow, for entertainment purposes, yeah, that's going to be awesome. But for the organizational standpoint, it's enormously important. He has to be a star. He can't just become an ordinary guy. Not after what he's shown already. You know, he's not going to hit, you know, 380 or, or whatever it was that he ended up at last year. And he's not going to make every single play on every single ground ball that comes his way. But he's going to have to be at least on the path to being a star. Here, I found his exact numbers. He was 376 batting average, 442 on base. 1124 OPS. No, he's not going to keep that up. But he also can't do what Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman did. And if you're looking for, I was going to say one thing, but it's two things really, that you want to see reverse themselves in 2021 that make the biggest difference for the Pirates organization. It's going to be those two guys becoming real live National League everyday type players all over again. That's not to say that they're the most important pieces of the equation. I don't believe they are. Hayes is the most important. I would put Mitch Keller right there behind Hayes. But if these two kids get it together and get back to where they were in 2019, when Reynolds was one of the better hitting left fielders in all of baseball, when Newman was one of the better hitting shortstops in all of baseball, and their defense was plenty good enough to keep them out in the field every day without worrying about it. If you have that, then you're building up necessary depth and you're accelerating the clock on pretty much everything. Because now you don't have to go look for a left fielder. You don't have to go look for a shortstop. And you have a core that you can begin believing in a lot sooner than you would otherwise. I mean, I, I, you know what? I could throw Cole Tucker into this as well. Mostly just because I really like him. You know, we all love Cole Tucker, don't we? It, it, he's impossible to not love. But he's got to hit the ball. He's got to hit the ball. His splits were 220, 252, 275 in, in 2020. And, and that's been pretty much the pattern other than a handful of blips in the majors where he gets really excited too, doesn't he? When he has those blips and he hits a, like a, a triple and he's flying around second base and the hair's going everywhere and he gets up and he's looking at the dugout and he's yelling and you're going, yeah, Cole Tucker, Cole Tucker's great. Well, he, he has to produce. I'm not telling you anything that he doesn't know himself. But within that, Reynolds and Newman are the ones 
that have to find something more than a happy medium between 2019 and 2020. Because the reality is the 2020 for both of them was, wow, just disastrous. Reynolds, 189 batting average, 632 OPS. Um, he still showed a little bit of pop, but you, know, you can forget about everybody's pop going into 2021 with the changing of the baseballs. He's going to have to get on base. He's going to have to regain his command of the strike zone from both sides of the plate. He's going to have to stop flailing outside the zone, which he almost never did in 2019. And he's going to have to overcome whatever it was that caused him to visibly start beating himself up because that's not his personality either. He's Joe Cool. He's the guy who can't be phased. He's the guy who never, ever goes into a slump. He's going to have to figure that out. I mean, we can put all the burden we want on Rick Eckstein and Derek Shelton and anybody else who's instructing him. This ultimately comes down to Reynolds. He's enormously important for the future of this franchise. Newman, maybe not so much because he he overachieved in 2019. He'd never hit like that before at any level of baseball, so there's going to be more skepticism about what he did. But by the end of 2019, especially with how hot he was at the finish, he ended up having just as good a season as Reynolds did. It just wasn't as noticed because it happened later in the year when a lot of people will rightly tune out the Pirates. But he dropped too, man. 224 batting average in 2020. 556 OPS. Was almost never making hard contact, even solid contact. He had better looking at bats than Reynolds did. He wasn't doing the flailing thing. But he also wasn't striking the baseball. He's got all the intangibles too, just like Reynolds does. And he still has a major league ceiling. They were both rookies in 2019. They both took a nosedive in a very strange, shortened season that never allowed either of them a realistic chance to climb out of the slumps or the holes that they dug for themselves. One of my favorite theses that anyone's offered about players who struggled a lot in 2020. And remember, there are some great ones who did. Notably Christian Yelich, but he wasn't alone. Is that when you get off to a lousy start in a normal season, you just say, well, I mean, it was a tough April, you know, I'll start getting out of it in May and things will be all good by the all-star break and then I'll take off and really find my stride. Well, that, that, was never going to happen, obviously, for anyone. And that fact, uh, that knowledge alone weighed guys down. And I can see where that would have had an impact, in particular on a young guy, if it could happen on the player that a lot of people, myself included, felt was the very best hitter in the entire league up in Milwaukee. Maybe they can write it off. Maybe they can just chalk it down to a fluke. 
come into Bradenton with a whole new attitude and a whole new slate. If they do, that's a really, really big deal for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2021 and beyond. Whether it's a bridge year or it's called a bridge year or not, there are things that matter this season. I don't know that anything matters more than the guys that I've just mentioned. When we come back, just one question. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Just one question. If you'd like to leave one, you can do so by visiting DK Pittsburgh Sports. Find the article that encompasses this podcast and leave it right there in comments. This segment of Daily Shot is brought to you by our good friends at Mike's Beer Bar. They're located on Federal Street, directly across from PNC Park. Mike has more than 500 beers on tap, including from more than 50 local breweries. Open for business, stop in and say hello, tell Mike we sent you. Mike's Beer Bar. And today's Just One Question comes from Chunny, who asks, do you believe that one of the reasons Bob Nutting hasn't pushed for a salary cap in the past is because he does not want or can't afford spending to the floor? It's a good question, and I I promise that over the course of the coming year in which baseball labor is going to be an increasingly big deal as the year goes along and they get closer to the expiration of the current agreement that I won't presume that everyone knows how all of these things work. And I'll do my best to explain the things that I know about the cap factually in addition to making clear when I'm just offering an opinion or a stance on something. Every owner in a salary cap system, can afford spending to the floor. And the reason for that is a salary cap system, think of it as three different things. There's a cap, a floor, and expanded revenue sharing, greatly expanded revenue sharing that ensures that all teams can spend within the cap range. The cap range in the NFL, the NHL, and the NBA, whether it's coincidence or not, across the board is right around $20 million, which is kind of surprising considering they're very different leagues with different models and different numbers of players to pay, especially between the NFL and the NBA. But the range ends up right around $20 million. And what that ends up meaning is that you don't really care if your owner is spending to the cap or to the floor because if your range is, let's say in baseball, a 170 cap and a 150 floor, 
and I know you're, I see what, why you're asking this. Your first thought is, well, wait a second, the Pirates are only at 30 right now. How would they ever afford to instantly just ramp up payroll to 120? It's because the revenue, the general revenue, would get spread around to everyone. So all the gazillions of dollars that the Dodgers have right now from their local TV deal would all fall into the same pot, the same pool. You know, it's not 100%, but it's something like 80, 90%, whatever it is, all goes into the same pot. That's all negotiated, handled, and distributed by the league. So every team is operating not with exactly the same amount of money, but with the same ability to spend within that cap. People always ask, why would a team like the Yankees or the Dodgers or whoever ever agree to a system like this? And the reason for that is the owners get filthy rich. Because in New York, you can charge way more for a ticket to see the Yankees than the Pirates can do in Pittsburgh, where they still have the single cheapest ticket in all of professional sports. I don't know if you knew that or not. So the revenues are still going to be greater in those markets. The difference is, is the owners no longer need to spend 220 250 or whatever it is, million dollars, because they're not allowed to. Oh, no. So looking back into you know 2004 when the NHL had its big to-do and, and imposed the salary cap on the union, initially there were some squawks, especially from Toronto, Detroit, uh, Montreal, New York, places that were used to outspending everyone else. And then as soon as it was laid out to them how much money they'd make, they all were like, oh, no, this is good. This is all right. We'll go with this. To attempt to answer the other part of your question, why has nothing not been outspoken about this? People rip the guy for a lot of things that are made up. And they don't rip him for the stuff that he really should be ripped for. This one is at the very top of my list as far as he's concerned. And it's not anything that I haven't brought up with him face-to-face in an interview as recently as a year ago. He has to be among the more vocal critics of the current system. Because otherwise... He just kind of sits back and looks passive and looks like he's going along with it. And then even in Pittsburgh, no, 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 especially in Pittsburgh, people think that it's somehow a great thing for him to be in this system. It isn't. He'd make more money. He'd make more money in a salary cap system, and he'd face infinitely less grief than he does. Oh, also, his team would probably be better. But... You know, I also know when I'm swimming upstream on some subjects. So I'm glad you asked this. I'm glad. Uh, Thanks to everybody for listening. We will do this again tomorrow.
At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.